yeah, starting a new series called I Can See Clearly Now. The rain is gone. Uh, yeah, it's, it, I'm excited about looking at what this looks like. Uh, and so a, a couple of years ago, I, um, I first realized I needed glasses. It was that moment. And I was actually at a bar and I couldn't really read the, the, um, the, 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 uh, the menu on the wall. So I actually asked Dan, can I you borrow your glasses? And then I put them on. To my shock, I could actually read it. I couldn't believe that I actually needed glasses. And so I got glasses, went through that whole process. And then I remember the first time I, I uh, wore them and I went down to the park. And uh, yeah, I actually, for the first time, realized that when I look across the park, the trees aren't blurry. For some reason, I just, you know, it just gotten used to the fact that when you look across the park, trees are blurry and thing is, things are all blurry. But for the first time, I realized, wow, they're actually clear. You can actually see a clarity in the leaves and there's actually, you can actually identify things. It's not just a big blur. And I was amazed. I was actually amazed that things were so clear and that I was just living blurry kind of uh, all that time. That's how it is for us guys. <laughs> uh, no, but so often in life, we are kind of living blurry. Things are a bit hazy. And uh, what we're going to do over these uh, series, over these uh, coming weeks, is take a look at some stories in the Bible, take a look at how uh, what we see and think is blurry and confusing is actually called to be clear. That in God, as we allow God to transform how we see, and as we allow God to transform what we're looking at, things that are blurry suddenly become clear. And uh, so we're going to have a look at some stories and some things in uh, the Old Testament and have a moment where we actually discover the clarity that God wants to bring us through. And have you, have you had a moment where you thought, how do I know what is really right? Like, how do I know if I'm actually living what is right? How do I know if, if what is right for the others? What, what's right for the way that I'm living? How do I really actually know what is right? Because so often uh, in the blur and in the, the tainted vision that we have, it's hard to actually identify what is actually right for us. And especially in this culture where kind of everyone is right and everyone has what is right for them it's hard to kind of actually stop and recognize what is really right. And so uh, we're going to have a look at some of that as we discover together. Are you guys with me? It's going to be good fun. I'm excited. We're going to open the, the Bible to Genesis 1 in the beginning. Here it is. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. There it is, the first day of creation, mapped out for us. 
And then uh, the, the, the Scripture continues on uh, over the next few, few days of creation. God is creating the world, this amazing uh, kind of poetic form of what God is doing in creation. And another five times during this process, God sees that it is good. He sees what his creation, he looks at it and says, that is good. And then he gets to create humanity, Genesis 1, 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds and of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And that was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Here we have the God creating order. He's creating life. He's creating purpose. He's creating this world. He's creating the heavens and the earth. Here God is creating and seeing what he is creating and calling it good. He creates humanity and it's the pinnacle. It is very good. And then it continues in Genesis 2. Uh, and then uh, God is putting actually boundaries in his humanity and he's putting boundaries for uh, the man and the woman, and at this time it's just the man in Genesis 2. Uh, yeah, if you look at Genesis 2, it's kind of a redo of Genesis 1, and then, anyway, sorry, I shouldn't go into that. Uh, Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So he has created life. He's created the world. And God here puts man in the garden and says, just here's the boundaries. Here's where you should be living within. Just trust me, humanity. Trust me, man. I, I want to lead you. I want to direct you. I want you to follow me. This is how you should live. He's creating and he's given us everything. He says he's given you every tree, but just of this one tree, do not eat, but everything else. Tend to it. Work it. Make it beautiful. Create life in this garden. This is all yours to create life. It's a it'd just be an amazing thing to witness, this amazing garden that we could create life and be in and, and be a part of uh, creating things with God. But of this just one tree, do not eat. And Genesis 3 happens. Verse 1, it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the serpent said, he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The thing is, God did not say that. He said he could eat of every tree in the garden. Verse 2, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and bad. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So this is what happens when what we see becomes blurry and tainted. It's interesting, these words that is used in Genesis here, the same words, God saw that it was good, and then Eve here sees that it is good for food and desirable for wisdom, but she takes of it. She takes her own control of what she sees is good, and she uses it for herself. This is what the danger of what we go through in life, that when we choose to take control of things in our life, the danger of when we see what is good in our own eyes, and instead of submitting it to God, when we see it and then take it for us, that is where things can get dangerous for us. That's where things can get blurry. That's where our vision starts to go all hazy and tainted when we actually choose to take from what we see is good for us. See, true wisdom is found as we relinquish control and understanding. That we don't control what we know, but we actually relinquish that control and understanding to God. But the opposite of wisdom is seeing what is right in our own eyes. So even Jesus says, you lose your life and you'll find it. It's as we actually pull the hands off control, and we actually allow God to, to create life in us. It's as we allow God to, to do something in us and transform us. That's where true life is found. And that's what we see even in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Solomon knew this, the great wisdom book of Proverbs. In Proverbs twenty six twelve, it says, Do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than, th- than for them. And so he even knows that this, this is not how we should live. That when we choose to see what is right in our own eyes and take it for ourselves, that's where we're living in the opposite of wisdom. That's not what true wisdom is. And that's what the, the, what the Bible teaches about wisdom is, is actually when we stop actually seeing what is right in our own eyes and actually give that control back to God. It's as we take that control from ourselves and give it back to God, that's where he can truly create something beautiful in us. That's where he calls us to be a part of creating this amazing garden. So I can see clearly now, and we're called to go from control to the creation that he has called us in. It's the same with me seeing across the the park without glasses and with glasses. What I used to see was all blurry and muddled and tainted. And that's when I had control over my situations. But what he calls me to is a a, a life of clarity where we actually actually put control in God's 
hands. Where we don't control it ourselves, but we submit who we are to who God is and actually see as he sees. It's actually liberating. We try and figure it out all on ourselves. We try and just make do with how we think life is, but God actually calls us to relinquish that. And that's where we actually try to find freedom. We think true freedom is actually to do whatever we, we want, but true freedom is actually submitting to the creator of heaven and earth. The true freedom is, is found as we actually give control to him because we don't need to actually worry anymore. We're like, cool, he's got it sorted. He's got this sorted. And so uh, this whole theme of what we see and taking uh, what, what is right in our own eyes is, is, is a big theme throughout the Bible. And, and one, since I've kind of looked and, and discovered how important these Genesis uh, passages are, I've seen these words so often. Now that I, I read the Bible, I see these words. I saw that it was good and take. And uh, if you kind of discover and realize and, and read through it yourself, you'll see this more and more, that we try and control what we see. God calls us to, to not hold on to those things, but actually allow God to act, choose to dictate what we see, to allow God to transform what we see. And uh, yeah, it's so important in this kind of beyond time. It's so important as we think about how we're reaching out into this world. It's so important to recognize that Christians are called to be a difference for this world. Christians are called to actually help people. <laughs> Funny enough, we're actually not just called to just do services and do church and do what we do uh, for ourselves. We're actually called to be a difference out in this world. That's how we're called to live, to see beyond ourselves and to see into the community around us, to see into the world around us and see the people in need. But uh, if we just focus on a program, if we just focus on just what we're doing as, as far as beyond and not actually transform ourselves, then I think we're doing ourselves a dis- disservice. God actually calls to transform individuals. He wants actually the individuals to change, not just to kind of be a part of a program and, yeah, I'm, I'm doing my duty. Like, I'm, you know, I'll put some money to that and that's my part, right? No, he actually calls us to actually personally also be transformed. He doesn't just want us kind of to get by and do the token thing, but actually transform our hearts. And that's kind of linking to what I was also talking about when uh, before the whole giving birth to something new. God wants to transform something in us. He actually wants to do something new, but we just want to hold on to control, don't we? We actually just want to do things our way. I don't know if I can really trust God can do that in me. I don't know if I can really trust opening myself up to that community. I don't know if I can really trust that I'm a person that I could step out in boldness and, you know, have that awkward conversation and love someone else. I don't know if I can trust if I'm the right person to make a difference. We just down ourselves time and time again. I mean, maybe I'm just speaking myself here (laughs) but i find that we just can doubt ourselves but god actually doesn't call us to hold on to control and think that we're not good enough or think we haven't got what it takes no he calls us to relinquish that control and to see creative power and life come and transform who we are so that we can transform this community and it's just 
it's just an exciting thing to me. It's an exciting thing. But the issue is, right, we're a part of this culture. We're a part of kind of a pretty difficult culture, particularly, you know, in the Australian Western culture. It's, uh, it's hard sometimes. See, uh, a, a, um, one of the great uh, pastors that I'm loving reading his stuff, uh, Mark Sayers, he says, our current Western context deforms and disorders our hearts and lives in profoundly destructive ways. Our current context, you see, we're we're wanting to open ourselves up to God, but our current context is deforming what we think of ourselves, is deforming how we think we should live and how we think we should act in profoundly destructive but like simple, unnoticed ways. The culture is actually uh, getting at who we think we are. And what we need to do is to learn how to address the disordering the deforming of our hearts that the culture is pulling on. We need to come against the lie that tells us it's our desires that matter most, that just you do what you want to do and how you want to do. We need to come against that lie because that doesn't actually help you and it doesn't help this world. That lie that just says, go after your desires. God actually calls us to take our desires and give them to God and trust God with who we are to trust that he has it sorted. Because our culture, again, it's, it's a shallow culture. You see, our aim in, in our culture is to actually just look socially cool, to have a cool Instagram, to go to new cool restaurants, to be a part of that sporting event, to listen to that cool music, to be a, uh, watch that great TV show and just have all the appearance of I've got it together. See, man, I've just I've been out in that restaurant, that cafe. Like, I love all those things, by the way. I'm, there's no diss on those things. But when all our world, all our life is formed around looking and appearing all together, when, when all we think about is how are people thinking about me? Have I got the appearance of I've got it all sorted? That's where the shallowness of our world comes in because you see that so often, that people are just trying to appear to have things sorted, but actually on the inside, they're hurting. We're one of the most lonely and isolated cultures there is. It's because what they, their appearance is all good, but actually on the inside, they're not deep at all. They don't have any deepness about us. And so that's the challenge that we have in our culture, is that if we're just trying to live for the appearance, trying to live for what fulfills us, and not actually recognizing that we need to actually be deep on the inside and challenge who we actually are, not just the appearance of who we are, but challenging who we actually are. We can, we can come against those depressing and anxious thoughts that, that try and grip us. We come against those, the fearful thoughts that can't try and pull us down. And so that's what we're called to do, come against that, the culture of our world and actually see transforming creative life in who God is, in who He is. See, our culture uh, is going wide thinking that it's going deep. It's going wide, like trying to cover all these things, appearing good, going to that cafe, going wide, trying to cover as much and thinking that that, that's that's fulfilling their life. That's what's actually helping them. 
But what we're called to do is actually go deep, deep into who we are, deep into understanding uh, who we are, our identity, who we are in God, who, is God, who God has called us to be, deep. As even Peter was saying, uh, he, he had to just go after his call. He couldn't just kind of do his uh, rusty job and kind of do what he needed. He actually needed to go deep. He needed to go after what he th- thought he was called to do. And that's a big deal, okay? Let's just, let's just highlight that for a second. Giving up a rusty job when you've kind of grown up in Bali around poverty. It's a, it, they had high-paying jobs, he and his wife, Lena, and they gave that up for the call of God. That was not, that's not shallow. That's not just trying to get the appearance right. That was going deep. That was going deep and discovering I'm made for more than just this. I'm made for more, that there is more in me that I need to discover as I take off control. And so, yeah, the world is trying to go wide, but God calls us to go deep. Another great quote uh, from Mark Sayers, it says, It does not take much more than the quick dip into the platitudes of fridge magnet philosophy and the Gnostic-like advice of many self-help books to grasp the fact that the culture we live in does not offer much on which to build a deep inner life. The gospel transforms us from the inside out. The resilience, peace, depth, and wisdom that following Christ gives our inner lives are resources solely needed in our day. Churches are the place where in community we discover inner depth. It's actually allowing God to, uh, opening our hearts to allow God in and actually allow God to go deep and ask the, the tough questions for ourselves and actually confront the things that we're facing, confront who we are and to let God transform us. That's what we're called to do. It's challenging. It's like giving birth sometimes, probably, yeah. But as we do that, there is, that's actually when something is created. That's when God can actually do something in us. And actually, we're called to not just kind of, yeah, let's just, you know, do something easy and comfortable. God calls us to actually make a difference in this world. He calls us to use the skills and gifts that we have to bless others. He calls us to live fulfilled and purpose-filled lives. He calls us to come against the things that the world is pulling people down in and, and calls us to bring life and hope into our workplaces, into our families. He calls us to, to be that light but where there is just complete darkness. He calls us to be those people but the question is, will we allow ourselves to relinquish that control? Will we give that up and allow God to help us and transform us? Mm. Will we do that? So let's make those steps. Let's make those moves where we actually allow God space to transform us. And just quickly, um, there, are, there are two things that I, I want to quickly share about how we can do this. What does this actually mean? Cool, we want to go deep. Cool, we want to relinquish control. What does that actually mean, right? Sometimes we just think these things. I know I do. What does this actually mean? What do we do? Uh, so firstly, uh, we're called to live in holiness. 
to live in holiness. To actually uh, to relinquish control means we go to war with the things that are actually pulling us down, with the sins that actually are, are affecting us, with the, the way that we're living that we know isn't right. We actually need to deal with it. We need to go to war with these things. We actually need to believe that, God, you've transformed me from this way of living. You've transformed me from this attitude. You've transformed me from this thought way of thinking. God, you've transformed me. And we actually need to go to war to live in holiness. And one of the most amazing things that I get to be a part of as a pastor is seeing this happen people in people. This, it's just exciting when people come to me and like, you know, Joel, I've been struggling with this thing, and then seeing them go on a, a process of actually submitting that to uh, like a, accountability, but also submitting that to God and going, God, you're going to do something in me. And I love witnessing and seeing people being transformed as, you know, years go by and they're, they're a completely different person, completely changed by uh, what God has done in that process of submitting and pursuing to live in holiness. And so what is it for you? We, we know what is, isn't right with us, right? We know what isn't right with us. I know what's not right with me. I'm trying to work on things with me. And so what is it? What is those things, those areas in our lives where we need to deal with it and go to war and go, God, I, I want to shift that. I want to change that attitude, whether it's, you know, a grumbling, complaining attitude. That, if you went to work and never grumbled and complained, you'd get noticed because that's just how things happen. Grumbling and complaining. Uh, maybe it's like a prideful, I can do it better, I don't need help kind of attitude. I know that's something for me that I've had to deal with, thinking, actually asking for help and actually recognizing you don't have it all sorted. And that's something that I've had to deal with, and maybe that's for you. But go to work at dealing with those areas in our lives and to pursue to live in holiness, taking off control and letting God transform and create life in us. So that's number one, live in holiness. Number two is to contribute is to actually make a difference, actually choose to see what can I do? What can, how can I actually be a part of helping other people? Maybe God has done something in me and transformed something in me. How can I actually help others be a part of that as well and see something change in other people? Or, or maybe your, your way of contributing is actually to notice when someone is, is, isn't doing very well and actually do something about it. Actually don't go, oh, that sucks, man. Spewing. But actually go, how can I help? How can, can I cook you a meal? Can I uh, do something for you? Can we, you know, can we help in some way? You can contribute to other people's lives. You can contribute as a blessing to others. That's, that's two ways. That, and that, that's a form of us not, taking, not holding on to control, but actually letting God transform our actions and transform the way that we live. Uh, and so those are just two quick things that we can do to transform who we are and let creation power come into us. Uh, yeah, so also I, I've put together a little, um, I don't even have one with me, but at, at the back table uh, over there, there's kind of a little uh, A5 graphic and it has kind of a list of five things that we can do this week. And I just wanna we just want to help you guys kind of to actually live out what we're teaching and uh, we know we have dinner church, and so we've only got once a fortnight an opportunity to actually share. But uh, there's these little uh, kind of, yeah, flyers that you can actually take home and, and challenge yourself during the week. And there's five things to, to read, 
read some scripture and there's, um, I, I just recommend to read Genesis 1 to 4. Just kind of have a look at this and, and ask some questions. Have some questions there uh, to pray. We're actually going to pray together as a church this Wednesday night at 7.30. Um, we're going to be at the Sapling, which is kind of just around the corner, not very far. We'll post details on Instagram and f- Facebook. Yep, we're on there. And uh, yeah, so we'll post details, but we're going to pray together. And we think believe that prayer is a powerful tool that can help unlock something in people's worlds. And so um, pray. That's what another thing that you can do. Number three on the sheet is to reflect, to actually take a moment and to listen to God's voice. To listen, God, what are you speaking to me? Maybe writing some thoughts. Uh, and then four is to react, to actually do something about what God is telling you. And number five is to rest. And that is, can be a, a difficult thing for people, to actually take a day out and don't do anything. Don't do anything. I just saw Robin. She was like, <laughs> even though you've got eight kids, Robin, don't do anything. Come on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so actually that is, can be a challenging thing because we want to just keep doing things. And the whole point of Sabbath, right, is actually recognizing if God could take a day of rest, who are we to actually keep working? <laughs> who are we to think that if I stop working, things are, are going to fall apart? Even with eight kids around, I'm sure someone will pick up the pieces. <laughs> oh, no. But actually taking a moment to rest is so important. And so I, we just put that on there. You can grab that sheet afterwards um, just to help you kind of do something about what we're doing. Uh, in, yeah, letting God take control rather than kind of taking control ourselves.